All right, so, so many of you know, and, and if, if you're not doing what I'm about to say, it's all right, you're not behind, this will still make sense this morning, but many of you know we're working our way through a book called A Discipleship Journey, and so we've moved into the third chapter of the book, Exploring the Grace of God, um, and so this week's reading, a lot of it, we were in the book of Ephesians, in the first and second chapter of Ephesians, and so what I want to do this morning is we're going to look at a, at a personal letter that Paul, the guy who wrote the book of Ephesians, wrote. And here's the cool thing about this letter. I wanna give you a sense of context here, okay? So, so Paul, who wrote the letter to the Ephesian church, there is this region near Ephesus, okay? That's where Ephesians gets its title, Ephesus. But it's believed by most Bible scholars that the letter to the Ephesians was actually a circuit letter that went around to several of the cities in that area or that region. And so that letter would have gone to Ephesus, it would have gone to Laodicea, it would have gone to Colossae. So when you hear Colossae, that's the the letter to the Colossians, all right? And so, so the same folks who got the letter to the Colossians read the letter to the Ephesians. And in that context, that community, that region of the world, Paul writes a personal letter to a guy named Philemon. And this guy, we'll we'll learn a little bit more about him as we go here, but it it most likely is the case that this personal letter went along with the letter to the Colossians. In fact, this guy Philemon, the church in Colossae met in his house. So this guy hosted a church service in his house. And so a couple of guys are commissioned. If, If you wanna check this out, You can see it in the letter to Philemon, but also if you were to check out Colossians chapter four, the very end of that letter, verses seven through 18, names the same two guys, names the same couple of guys who were traveling with these letters, one to the whole church, one is a personal letter to Philemon. So does that make sense just from a sense of context there? So this this is early church folks who are getting to know Jesus. And the reason we're gonna take a look this morning at this personal letter is, is so that we can hopefully see how God's grace, right, this big concept, how God's grace applies in our lives personally. If you've spent any time reading some of Paul's letters, man, it's easy pretty quickly to just get, get overwhelmed. He's an intelligent guy. Man, he unpacks all kinds of things about Jesus in an in-depth way. Um, it's very life-giving and very informative, But what I love about this letter is all of the concepts that Paul has been teaching God's people, he helps this guy see in a very real practical way how God's grace applies in his life. And so so that's my hope. Not just that we would leave here going, well, I understand the concept of God's grace a little better. Or maybe you're sitting here this morning, you're like, man, I've already heard about God's grace for years. Like, I don't don't need another sermon on that. My, My hope is that we would all see how God's grace applies in my life, like right now, today, in my relationships, in my personal walk with him, in my vocation, all right? God's grace applies in our everyday lives. So here we go, let's jump into this. So we're gonna start by just getting a sense of of the purpose of this letter. So I'm gonna read the first three verses and then also verses 10 through 12. It's just a one chapter letter, very short and sweet. We'll actually end up working through the whole thing together this morning. So Philemon, verses one through three. Paul, 
a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Apaphia, our sister, that is probably his wife, could be his sister, but it's probably his wife, and Archippus, our fellow soldier. Archippus is most likely the head pastor, the lead pastor in Colossae, and the church in your house. All right, so we have some context here. Paul and his disciple Timothy are writing a letter. Paul's in prison writing this letter. He's most likely in prison in Ephesus. It's possible this is later in his life when he's in a prison in Rome, but it's most likely that he's imprisoned in Ephesus. And him and Timothy are are writing this letter. And so there's a reason I'm giving you that context. This letter is anchored in community. It's, it's anchored in fellowship. That fellow worker, all right, partnership in Christ, community in Christ, it's anchored in relationship. Verse three, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he shares a few things that we'll read in a minute, but then verse 10, he really gets down to why this letter was written. So this personal letter was written, verse 10, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, formerly, sorry, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. Paul's letter involves three very unique people. Three very unique people. First of all, we've got Paul. He's he's a Jewish Pharisee. He also happens to be a Roman citizen, which is pretty cool, and God used that in really unique ways in his life. But he's he's a Jewish Pharisee. That's his background. That's his history. Just a very religious dude, faithful to at least the Old Testament law, like what he knew up to the point where he met Jesus. This is Paul. He's, he's now a prisoner. So this guy, a Jewish Pharisee who's now a prisoner because of his faithful witness to Jesus, that's one of the guys that, that is a part of this letter. The second guy, completely different circumstances, Philemon. He's a Gentile Roman citizen. This was, this was still very radical that the Jewish Messiah, Jesus, was being shared with non-Jews with non-Gentiles. And so a huge part of the New Testament is making sure that the Jewish people understand that Jesus' invitation was for all and that whatever our background, whatever our history, we come together in Christ. And so here is this, this Gentile Roman citizen who's probably fairly wealthy, who now hosts this church in his home. And the third character, Onesimus, He's a bondservant or a slave to Philemon. And apparently he wasn't a very good servant. He's described as useless. Ouch. I I hope to never be described as useless really in any context. Listen, here's the first thing I want you to see this morning. Because I, I know we hear this phrase, but I want you to really see it in the lives of these people. Friends, grace is for everybody. It's for everybody. 
You feel useless, unworthy, discarded. You feel used and abused, an outsider. God's grace is available to you. You have a a rich, full life, but you've been distant from the Lord. You're pursuing your own aims. Your life is built around the American dream. God's grace is available to you and, and you need it. Your life is based on your own good works, your own faithful religiosity. God's grace is available to you and you need it. Friends, the first thing we have to see in our lives and in our relationships is that God's grace is for all. I mean, in what context is a Jewish Pharisee hanging out with a Gentile Roman citizen and a slave? And yet we see in the context of this letter, they're brothers. They're now one family. Guys, that's the power of grace. It's available to all and it brings us into a unique relationship with each other. Friends, grace should be the glasses through which we see ourselves in the mirror and the way we view one another in the world. I'm either looking at a fellow believer, a fellow brother or sister in Christ through the lenses of grace, or I'm looking at someone who ought to be a brother or a sister in Christ, who need God's grace to touch their life. This is is meant to be the way that we see ourselves and the world around us. God's grace is meant for all. This is what Paul is talking about in his letter to the Ephesians in the first three verses of chapter two. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. We're all in the same boat. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the devil. We don't talk about him a whole lot in our culture these days. We talk about the world and our selfishness, but we have an enemy. So we were following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Guys, we are all in need of grace. No matter our background, our position, our choices, the reality is we, we are dead in our trespasses and sins, and we're stuck dealing with the effects of our own flesh, dealing with the effects of the world around us that's broken, And if that wasn't enough, this enemy that wants to rip us off, accuse us and see our lives robbed and destroyed and killed. See, Paul Paul is addressing specifically like all that we face. Listen, this is the reality of the world that we live in. And and I believe, guys, for for many of us, we're not even going to recognize the significance of grace until we realize how great the odds are stacked against us. Like my own flesh gets in the way. This world is a hard place. 
you want to experience God's grace in your life, and then you go out and start navigating the world around you, interacting with the people around you, it's easy to miss his grace. It's easy to find ungracious people. If we're honest, it's easy to be an ungracious person. It still boggles my mind how easily I am just angry at my core when someone is driving really bad around me. Like the stuff that just flashes up. So rage is just so quickly at the surface when I get cut off or almost run off the road. Like it's, it's just there. But like in the world that we live in, it's, it's so easy for us to be ungracious. It's so easy for us to miss God's grace towards us when we're living in a world that's ungracious. Friends, may our eyes be open to recognize whatever our condition, whatever our position, before Christ or after, we need God's grace. Anybody in here that's been walking with Jesus for a while that knows I still need God's grace? Man, massively. If anything, I feel like I recognize I need it more now than I did 20 years ago. Like I need his grace and it is available. It's available. And see, what I love is like Paul doesn't just leave us there with the bad news, right? Like, well, man, what a hopeless situation. I'm, I'm dead in my trespasses and sins. Like my flesh works against me. The world works against me. The enemy wants to rip me off. We're all in this, this just difficult position. And yet, verse four, but God. We could just stop right there. If you wanna know what grace is, it's the but God that comes after the three verses we just read. My life's a mess. The world around me is a mess. I have an enemy that wants to steal, kill, and destroy my life. What's grace? The but God that interjects in the middle of all of life's difficulty and struggles and stresses, but God. He shows up. He's always faithful to show up. And what is it about this God? He's rich in mercy. And I love that. He's rich in mercy. See, sometimes the longer I walk with Jesus, I can get the mindset of like, hey, I get that he forgave me back there in those days when I was just ignorant, stubborn, knuckleheaded, but like 20 years in as an adult now walking with Jesus, like I should know better. And I don't necessarily feel worthy of the richness of his grace but there's always more mercy in his bank account. There's always more mercy available. I love that. In his rich mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together. Can y'all say together? Made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's what we were singing about this morning, that picture of Revelation. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ. 
Grace is the but God intervening on our behalf. Those who were dead have been made alive. And this grace, it brings us together. Friends, for some of us, maybe the the takeaway this morning is I just need to stop and go, Lord, how does your grace touch my relationships? How does it touch my relationships? God, your grace is for all. Am Am I seeing the world through your eyes of grace? When I, when I see things that bother me, I experience broken people. I'm going through frustration or difficulty in my relationship with my spouse, a family member, a coworker. God, am I seeing that person as a person worthy of your grace? That you want to richly pour out mercy on them because of your great love. Maybe we're too hard on ourselves. God, I'm I'm not even putting on those glasses of grace when I look at my own life. I'm beating myself up. I don't feel, I feel useless. I feel unworthy. God, you're rich in mercy. You love me. God, help me to see myself the way you see me. His grace is available for all, but don't leave it in the like mystical all. This letter was anchored with names. When Philemon gets this letter, he's he's remembering Paul. Paul was gracious to him. He's a Christian. He knows Jesus because Paul traveled his town and told him about Jesus. Helped him be rescued from his trespasses and death. It was personal. He now hosts people in his home so they can experience the grace of God. He knows these names. He knows this guy who's in prison for his faith. He knows Timothy that Paul has poured into. His wife is mentioned in this letter. He knows this knucklehead servant that apparently was driving him crazy. He was happy for him to go. Yeah, go hang out with Paul. Maybe he'll set you straight. He's anchored in real names and real relationships. That's my hope, that God would help me to see grace for all with names, with faces. Who's that person that you're struggling with right now? You're struggling to forgive. Or maybe you know you've blown it. You've hurt them. Who's difficult to deal with? Man, are are you just stressed with your kids right now? Like, I got six kids. It's stressful sometimes. That God would give me grace to extend mercy and love my kids well. That God would give them grace to deal with this dad who gets frustrated and upset at times. Maybe that's what we need to hear. All right, so grace, it's available to all. Number two, kind of where, where verse seven left us there, like, Grace is an unfolding gift. It's not just this kind of one moment where God rescues me and now I'm in his family. It's an unfolding gift. I'm meant to grow in grace. That's what Paul was describing in verse seven there. Like he says, in the coming ages, he might show us the immeasurable riches of his grace. It's something that he wants to continue to unfold in our lives. And I love this. 
Like, like Paul reminds Philemon of how he's seen this in his life. Verses four through seven now in his letter. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. Why? Because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Grace is permeating his life. He's growing in love. He's becoming anchored in faith. And it's now touching the lives of other people. Verse six, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Okay, that's a mouthful. Here's what he's saying. I want you to catch this. He's saying as God's grace is unfolding in your life and you're cooperating with it, you are extending love and grace to other people. As you are effective in living this out, you are receiving the benefit of increasing your knowledge of grace. When the Bible uses the word knowledge, it doesn't just mean information in my head. The Bible uses the same word for knowing something, information, as knowing someone, intimacy. And Adam knew his wife and they bear a son. The knowledge that God wants to offer us is not just head knowledge. It's experiential knowledge. We can become intimate with God's grace as we participate with it. As we let his grace work down into our lives and we practice extending it to other people. As I give grace away, I receive even more. That's what Paul's saying. Y'all catching that? It's this, it's this beautiful mystery. Like that's just a concept we see throughout scripture. Like when I give away, I receive. Listen, okay, it's fine. It's good to connect that with finances. I feel like we've gone pretty overboard with that in a lot of Christian circles. The giving away in order to receive was always meant to be about much more than finances. It is a way of life rooted in the grace of God. My finances connect to that because it's by his grace that I got anything in that bank account. And you think, well, I've worked hard and I'm really smart. Cool. Who gave you that body that is so healthy and strong that you're able to work hard? There's plenty of people that don't have that. Who gave you that sharp mind and that determination? It's grace. It's a gift. And so grace is an unfolding gift and we're meant to allow it to permeate our lives. Look at this. I love how he continues here, verse seven. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love. Think how, think how encouraging that must have been. Paul's the one that led this guy to Christ. Paul's the one that first shared grace with him. And now Paul's saying, hey bro, you have now impacted my life. Your love has brought me joy. It's brought me comfort, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. That is both encouraging and convicting, at least for me. So you want want some signs of a grace-filled life? If you wanna just pause and have a conversation with the Lord, Lord, am I 
growing in grace? Am I experiencing the immeasurable riches of your grace in my life? A great way to reflect on that with the Lord is to just consider this. Lord, are others refreshed by me? If my wife gets some extra time with me this week, does she leave our time together refreshed? Or was I just a drain? Was I sucking the joy out of her? Or was I depositing joy in her heart? I remember years ago, this wasn't in my notes, but it just hit me. I haven't thought of this in a long time. I had a dear friend one time that, that told me this, and it's, it's always stuck with me, said, if you wanna know if a man is really walking with the Lord, look at his wife's face. Whew. When he said it, it man, it convicted me. I don't mean this just to pick on the guys. Like, this is, this is for all of us. And I don't mean it to say, well, I need to stir up a bunch of grace. No, no, no. Remember where we started. Grace is a gift. God, I need your gracious gift. And maybe if you do this reflection and go, God, are others refreshed by me? And the answer is a resounding, not really. Like, if that's kind of the answer you get, God, thank you that you are rich in mercy. Thank you for your grace. God, would you restore me by your gracious love? Would you do that? I love that. See, this right here is a picture of God's grace. A mom caring for and tending to her child in need. I, I do a lot of that in my relationship with Jesus. And he just goes, it's all right, I got you. It's the Father's love when I realize I'm missing it, when I go, man, God, your grace isn't, it doesn't appear to be growing in my life. I don't think I'm, I'm being immersed in the richness of your grace. So Father, you're rich in mercy. Would you pour that out in a fresh way? Help me to have a tangible taste of your love. Thank you for your mercy. Help me to cooperate with you in extending grace to those around me and watch how my knowledge of his grace grows. Ephesians 2, I'm gonna read verse seven again and then go down through verse 10. Why does God pour out this grace in our lives? So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That gift is meant to be poured out in our lives in such a way that all I can do is just by faith say, Jesus, thank you. And now, as I walk out a life that grows in grace, it's not earning his grace. It's not trying to be a good Christian soldier. 
It's an outpouring of his grace. And now I get to be a gracious person to others. I'm a life with all my faults, all my failures, all my brokenness that is touched by grace. And God's plan to touch the lives of other people with grace is through us. It's through normal, average, everyday people who've been touched by the grace of God. And in in all of our, you know, still on our journey of growth, all that, we get to be a taste of grace for others. See, even if, even if, I'm, if I'm hearing some of this this morning, I'm reading some of this morning, I'm like, man, God, I'm a mess. I haven't been walking in grace. Do you know what a powerful reflection of grace it is when somebody humbles themselves before God and before someone else just says, hey, I've blown it. I'm sorry. I need some mercy. Immediately, God can redeem what's been broken and show his grace through the life of someone humble enough just to go, will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? See, the real point that Paul is after here in in all of this, anchoring, anchoring Philemon in relationship, reminding him of what he's already walking in, the unfolding grace of God in his life, the whole thing Paul's after here is understanding this idea. Grace is a way of life. Grace is a way of life. I want to give you a couple nuggets on this and then we'll wrap things up. See, now he gets down to the meat of this. We're going to pick this up now in verse 8. <clears throat> after, after the introduction, reminding him of the names, after encouraging him about all the ways that he's walking in grace, he then says, accordingly, accordingly, based on this grace that we have together, based on the grace that we are walking in and growing in, accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. We need to get some more of that. I've spent a lot of my life, this, is, this isn't pointed at any one person, I don't mean to, to do that at all, but I, I've spent a lot of my life experiencing and watching from a distance the church being led by bullies. And I have feared as I've walked with the Lord and stepped into ministry that I would ever do that. And I'm sure that I have with my kids, with my wife, maybe even in this church. And the sad thing is, friends, we participate in it. Like both the people doing it and the people sitting under it, we participate in it. It's like we wait for someone else to push us into something, to compel us to live a certain way. Give me my instructions and then tell me I'm a good boy or girl after I did it. And Paul says, I could do that. I have the authority in Christ to just show up and go, buddy, I led you to the Lord and it's time for you to pull it together and work this problem out with this guy. He said, I could have commanded you to do it, but I'm not 
doing that. Instead, I prefer to appeal to you in love. Friends, that is, that is my heart for the people of God, that we would hear the appeal of God's love and just say, Lord, I wanna step into being who you've called me to be. Not because I'm shamed into it, not because I'm bullied into it, not because somebody told me to follow X, Y, and Z, but because I believe with all of my heart that your grace is real and that I need it and that the world around me needs it. And that being a disciple is about stepping into that. Not because I've been coerced or forced or compelled to, but because I can. We're meant to be anchored in a love relationship with God that tethers us into real Jesus-centered community with one another. And then when life gets hard, when relationships get difficult, we are reminded and compelled by the love of God to lean in with grace instead of pulling back in hurt, anger, desire to protect ourselves from something difficult, know that we'd lean in because I can lean in because his grace is sufficient for me. Well, that was all extra. That wasn't in my notes. So he makes love's appeal. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. Verse 10, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. Verse 12, I love this. I am sending him back to you. Think, think about this. This guy shows up with this letter and was like, hey boss. See, we don't know the circumstances. He appears... He appears to have been causing problems. He might have run away. That's, that's one very real possibility. He escaped his former master. His former master may have just been fed up with him and said, get out of here. We don't know. He comes back bearing this letter, hands it to him. And now Philemon's looking at him and reading this letter. And Paul says, I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. What does a life of grace look like? It's an invitation. It's not a command. It's not some legalistic requirement. It is an invitation to grow in love by learning and practicing love. I'll say that again. Grace as a way of life is an invitation to grow in love by learning and practicing love. As I, as I learn more and more how to love well, like love's easy when everything's good. Love is real when it gets hard. And so it's an invitation to grow in love by learning and practicing it well. Verse 15, for this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while. I love this. He's just talking about how God redeems situations, right? 
like this messy, unfortunate situation, perhaps this is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would have received me. What's the way of love look like? It restores and redefines relationships. The way of love recategorizes things. Oh, you were employer, employee? Cool, this is a brother now. This is a sister. Walk in this relationship on those grounds, on those terms. There's neither... Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free. We're all one in Christ. Grace restores and redefines relationship. And how does it do it? I want you to see this. It does it through the power of forgiveness and fellowship. Forgiveness and fellowship. Paul's appealing to him on the grounds of relationship. We are partners. We are co-laborers in Christ. You want to re- I'm asking you to receive back this guy who you had a difficult situation with, but, but think about in the context of our relationship. We are co-laborers in Christ. We are brothers in Christ. Receive him back in that same way. Receive him back in forgiveness and fellowship. For, see, forgiveness is difficult. He goes on, verse 18. Check this out. Talks more about it here. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. (laughs) In other words, I could say, hey, bro, you owe me a lot. You don't even know Jesus except for I came and labored. And yet I'm saying, I'll pay the bill. I'll pay the bill. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart. See, I don't want any other obligation than just I continue to be refreshed as I watch you grow in grace. That's what Paul's saying. I'm confident of your obedience. I write to you knowing that you will do even more than what I say. That's the way of grace, even more, above and beyond. But Paul, Paul acknowledges something important about forgiveness. See, it can sound wonderful to go, man, wouldn't it be great if we all just lived in this way of grace? Like we just extended grace to each other and received grace from each other and just sounds like one big happy family. But it's costly to live like this. There's a reason that Jesus defines love as sacrificial. He didn't just define it in like dictionary terms, he lived it. His love was sacrificial. Forgiveness is always costly, friends. To choose to extend forgiveness will always cost us something, and Paul recognizes it. It's difficult. It's costly. It's worth it. That's the way of grace. See, the bottom line here is grace looks like Jesus. It loves sacrificially and it forgives at great cost. 
leads us to our final point here on the way, a way of life. Grace is a way of life. Verses 22 through 25, he wraps up the letter. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greeting to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Friends, grace as a way of life sets us in good company with the flawed yet redeemed people of God. Paul started with community. He ends with community. He says, this is the way of grace. We get to live with other people graced by God. Now, what I'm about to say next isn't in the Bible, but it's, it's, it's believed by church historians. So here's Paul in prison in Ephesus. Timothy helps him put this letter together. He's poured into Timothy's life. Timothy, young Timothy, becomes the pastor of the church in Ephesus and leads it for a long time. Well, Ignatius writes about a guy named Onesimus who became the bishop or pastor of Ephesus after Timothy. And most scholars believed it's this same guy. This broken, useless slave finds a man who's imprisoned because of his faith in Jesus, who says, in the midst of these circumstances, I'm not sitting in prison crying and pouting. I'm sharing grace. This young man comes to saving faith, and Paul says, you know what the right thing to do is, young man? Go be reconciled. Not just start fresh over here. Go back and be reconciled. And sends him back, and this relationship is reconciled and restored. And this guy who was a slave watched the grace of God pour into his life from a redeemed Jewish Pharisee from a Gentile Roman slaveholder into his life. And he grows into being the leader of the church at Ephesus, sharing the grace of God with others. Friends, our, our lives have a story to tell. We've been uniquely placed where we are with the jobs we have, the neighbors we have, the spouses we have, the family members that we have. And God's grace is available to all of us. And he wants it to continue to unfold in our lives so that it becomes a way of life for us that touches our hearts and all of our relationships. That's the grace of God. Friends, my prayer for us as we close is that, that we would position ourselves with the Lord like in really practical ways, just say, God, okay, I've heard this letter this morning and read about your grace in Ephesians. God, what does this look like in my life right now? God, where do you, where do you wanna pour grace into my life today, this week? God, is there something in my relationship with you that you need to heal and restore? Lord, are there some relationships? Is there a particular relationship in my life where your grace is so needed right now? Help me to step into that. God, may your grace pour down to my life become a whole new way of life for me.
that I might be anchored in a community of grace. Amen? That's my prayer. That's my hope. Will Jesus do that? God, would you do that in us? Thank you that your grace is available because of your great love. God, thank you that you want to continue to just pour it into our lives in glorious ways as we learn to cooperate with you in loving each other well. God, may we see ourselves through the lens of your grace. May we see our brothers and sisters in Christ through the lens of your grace. And may we see a broken and hurting world around us as people in need of your grace. And may we walk in it as carriers of the great gift you've given us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.